I think meetings are the killer of productivity. <laughs> you lose people really quick on these meetings that could have been an email. The duration of meetings are stupid long. And then also because we're digitally engaged in a meeting, have you ever been on a meeting when you know somebody's looking at another website or doing something else? Hello and welcome to episode 70 of Chaos and Rocket Fuel, the Future of Work podcast. This is the podcast where we look at every aspect of work in the future. It's brought to you by Wanda and Patton, and my co-host Claire Haydar is the CEO at Wanda and Patton. Claire, this is our final get-together with Eric, Eric Corum. We're talking about peak performance. Give me a bit more detail as to what we're talking to Eric about today. Eric is an incredible human. He has done some really profound, truly scientific work with um, the NFL in the USA and as a um, you know, peak performance coach for the players. And he has recently started his own company called M7. What he's essentially doing there is taking all of those learnings from his work within the NFL and actually applying it to the general public which is why we invited him onto the podcast to specifically talk about how does the concept of peak performance and the importance of sleep actually play into not just the future of work, but work today. And in this specific episode, what we're uncovering with him is this very interesting place where work and employers find themselves in. It's, it's a gray territory that we're navigating. So if you consider the NFL, it's... It's matured, and not only the NFL, I mean, this applies to all major sports leagues around the world. It's matured to a certain point where there's a baseline set of statistics according to which, you know, um, players are measured before they can actually enter these really, really, you know, top level leagues. Work hasn't yet reached that point. We're still at the basic skills assessment. Like, can you just do the job? If you look at where sport is now maturing to, so it's beyond those like baseline statistics and it's moving into health data and the accessibility of that by companies and sports teams. Where is work going? Because we now have accessibility in this remote working world that we never had to accessibility before with regards to data and how people are working. And so it's a really interesting but very important conversation around health data and how it is moving completely out of that confidential protected space into the public space and what is the application of that in work and the implications on the individual employee but also on the employer as the steward of that data. Yes, it's a, a fascinating conversation and interesting how well it translates from sport into the future of work and, and into industry. Let's catch up with Eric for the last time. Bringing this all back to the really practical applications with regards to the future of work. Everything that you've shared here with us is directly correlated to our work outcomes. You know, going back to that peak performance definition that you've shared with us, which I think is really important. And then now this that you've shared with us around actual sleep and how we should be sleeping and where we're not sleeping properly and not getting enough hours, et cetera. This leads to a very gray area, health data, moving from the confidential protected space into a public space. I know that there's people on our own team who find this whole concept very uncomfortable and violating. And yet there's 
a very real movement that's actually saying this data should be released, should be open in the public space. How do companies navigate this? Um, I can just tell you personally, I think you should steward people's data well. My company, AIM7, that's actually one of our core values because you shouldn't have to share health data that you don't want to share. And so right now we are in an opt-in climate for sharing health data. So for instance, if you sign up for an, and you buy an Apple Watch, right, you can opt to share your health data to HealthKit. I'm just thinking of it like a general environment that, that then is like there for you. And then, you know, you know, Apple's got access to it. If you wear a Fitbit, you can op- opt in. I think that's really important that we consider keeping it an opt-in environment. I do think that there are opportunities to share cohort data if that's an opt-in that you want to do. And I'll give you an example. When I was in the NFL, National Football League, the players union did not require athletes to engage in tracking, like with tracking technologies, either in practice or sleeping at home because the players didn't want to get cut because they didn't sleep enough or whatever, which I totally get. But if you don't know, you can't help. So we drew up legal documentation that only myself and the director of sports medicine could view individual data and the teams and general management could only see cohort data. So that if we saw something that could be detrimental to somebody's health, we could help them fix it. And if we didn't stick with this, that like it was le- it was big legal troubles for the team and it like lowered all the temperature in the building and a lot of players engaged because we were protecting them legally, but we were also showing that we actually cared about them. And, and there was a number of players that we were able to help with like crucial health issues, like obstructive sleep apnea, which people can die from. We were able to identify that and help. And so there's a lot of athletes that were very thankful that we did what we did. And I think it transfers to the business environment too. You should have the right to opt in. And I think from a corporate standpoint, if you want to help people with their health, if you knew like the global exercise volume that your employees were engaging in, if they're only employing getting in 60 minutes a week, that's really bad. If they're only sleeping six hours a night, you know, how, what can we do to help them be healthier to improve their own health and wellness. And in turn, it's going to help improve productivity and performance. Okay. But Eric, I want to play a little bit of devil's advocate here with you, because if you think about it, going back to your exact example that you used on the NFL, you guys are almost like at version 2.0 of health data already. Because if you think about it, people who are at that level already have basic stats behind them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're coming in on a whole bunch of data, which Work isn't even at that place yet. You know what I mean? Right. Work doesn't have like for an engineer or a sales rep, they aren't like basic metrics in place that are being tracked like in an NFL environment. So we almost in work, particularly around knowledge workers, have to get to version 1.0 before we can even get to the health data side, which is the version 2.0. It's a good point. That's the thing that I really like want to dive into here with you is like, what is that baseline set of 1.0 statistical type of data that actually allows somebody to be at that starting gate? Like if I'm just really blunt from an employer perspective, if I had the option as an employer to employ somebody who I know is taking their sleep seriously, Uh 
I know I'm going to get better outcomes. Yeah. So I definitely want to employ somebody who's sleeping better. And this is where we get really great. This is why I'm putting it out there. So like, if you look at like the equivalent of those NFL statistics that allow somebody to even just be in that place in the first place, what is, yeah. what are those things in work? Ooh, I, I mean, I'd have to kind of toss this back into your court as far as what metrics are. E so you have to look at the accessibility to gather data. So in sports, it was like easy. Every game has statistics. Did they make a tackle on defense or not? Did they catch? So these were like open source data. Yeah. Anybody could watch the game and record this from home. So there was no privacy issues around it. Does that make sense? You basically forfeited your privacy. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, that's the, that's the world we're working in now in remote work because everybody's on Zoom. Everybody's in these SaaS applications, which is tracking what people are doing. I haven't thought, yeah. Yeah, we, we have access to this data, but nobody's actually calling it out. And, and you saw the same progression in sports. Like people were showing up and watching the data unfold in front of them. But, you know, like for example, in baseball, the movie Moneyball. Yeah, yeah. And those other types <laughs> of movies that show us where, you know, some of these coaches came to the forefront and said, hey, we're not looking at the data. We're not studying the data. Data without insight is useless. Yeah. So let me just say this. There are stats from a game that show productivity. Somebody caught the ball X number of times or had this many tackles. And then we had tracking devices on the athletes measuring their speed, how fast they ran, how far they ran, okay? There's a difference between running fast and running far and running in the totally wrong direction and actually accomplishing things that are worth, that, that actually change the game. So here's the problem with Moneyball. Moneyball is great, but like what data is actually aligned with performance? And so if I'm just tracking somebody's time they're in Word, I don't know, or on Slack, you could say, oh, they're not productive because they only spend 10% day on Slack. Yeah, but maybe they're sitting there and their job is to think over very complex scenarios to come up with a solution. And they spent 50% of their day thinking. And they only write 500 words in the entire day. But then they come up with the solution that saves your organization millions of dollars and allow you to scale. So to me, it's like it goes back to the conditions for success. Are you creating the conditions for success? So I could see an environment where people proactively share their data in a competitive situation to get a job. I'm healthy. I sleep. I eat nutritious food, et cetera. Because I know right now there are companies that are actually incentivizing. And I'm actually looking at using this as part of my solution is that like if you hit certain thresholds for like the government says standards for health, we'll actually incentivize you with money. And then if you want to, you can provide that information to your insurance company to lower your insurance premiums. So for instance, what do they ask you when you apply for life insurance? Do you smoke? Yes or no? Yeah. Okay. What if you could say, I hit the government standard at 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise per week. My average sleep is 7.2 hours per night. And I actually track my nutrition too. And I eat an anti-inflammatory diet. Oh my gosh. Not only you, if you could validate it, like you're a healthier person, you're probably going to live longer. You're not going to cost us as much on health insurance premiums. Um, and we could 
offer all these other bonuses, incentives, right? It could be to your advantage. It depends on now, are you going to give them your medical data? Probably not. <laughs> like you don't exactly. want them knowing yeah, certain yeah. things, right? Yeah. But if you walk 10,000 steps a day or 7,000 steps a day, like you may be like, sure, I'll check that box. You know, uh, it just, I could see it being an advantage. And like, just like anything else, I could see somebody using it in a very twisted way. So there has to be wisdom regarding how this data is used. I mean, my sort of follow-up question was literally that. Could you see in future that this health data would become public accessible? And I like what you said there around if you incentivize it, then there's a bigger chance of it being used for the right reasons. Yes. I'm working on this right now because anyway, it makes so much sense how to improve somebody's behavior, like internal motivation is one thing. Another thing is like, I'm actually incentivized. I'm going to receive money or lower this or improve that or have access to these rewards that are actually beneficial for my life and my family just to do the thing I should do to help myself. Yeah. Why not? What are your top three tips for employers today? to improve employee health outcomes? Because, you know, as this conversation has just revealed, we're in this very interesting gray area where work is still considered to be one of those places where there's this hard line, no medical data, no private confidential information. It's evolving, it's changing, but it definitely isn't anywhere near as evolved as sport yet. So in this gray time that we're operating in right now, top three tips for employers to improve health outcomes today? I'm going to give you one big tip. (laughs) Okay. Um, I like that. I think you need to help them become more adaptable through education, resources, technology, and creating a work environment that improves adaptive capacity, which we talked about as the ability to handle more stress with less cost. It's really centered around five things. If you want to improve adaptability, there's five things that the literature supports that improve your ability to adapt to stress better. One is sleep. Two is exercise. This is this is going to sound like so simple. Three is nutrition. Four is mental resilience or psychological flexibility. And five is fostering and maintaining healthy relationships. And I want to double, double click on psychological flexibility for a second. Holshager and colleagues define it as this. Psychological flexibility is defined as being in contact with the present moment, fully aware of emotions, sensations, thoughts, welcoming them in, including the undesirable ones, and moving in a pattern of behavior in the service of chosen values. It's the ability to act on your values. And if you can help people in sleep, exercise, nutrition, developing psychological flexibility, being able to be resilient in the moment with uncomfortable situations, and then fostering healthy community and relationships, you are going to have an employee that is happier, healthier, able to adapt to difficult life and work circumstances better, and they're going to be more productive. Like you're going to help them as a human being. And I would say that the lag of work productivity will not be long. So if you had the right model in place, I mean, you could see returns on investment within months. Uh, You do user interviews, right, Claire? Yes. Yes. Okay. I was talking to one of our users She was a mental health professional. This was totally random. She was taking the recommendations from our app that deal with these five things, and she was giving them to her patients. 
And within one month, she was able to quantify changes in their outlook on life. And I was completely blown away. I was like, I wish this was like we had like, uh, you know, this is a paper that we could publish. But the point being is, is like create the conditions. Like it's like a plant. If you put a plant in crappy soil with no sunlight and poor water, the conditions for growth are terrible. If you create the conditions, your employees will succeed. Like if you recruit the right talent, if people have the baseline level of talent that's needed and they're just decent human beings that like to interact, you know, and then you provide this, I think you'll see explosive growth. This has been an amazing conversation. Seriously, <laughs> I want to keep inviting you back because like each question that we asked you, I just want to go down like a hundred rabbit holes into that. Eric, that brings us to the end of this. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Eric. So very interesting hour we've just spent. Thank you very much. Thank you, Doug. And that is the end of episode 70 and our last chance to pick the brains of Eric Corum. Eric has certainly given us a lot to think about. If you've missed any of this conversation or if you're new to the channel, catch us on Spotify, Google and Apple Podcasts or on Wanda's very own website. That's wndyr.com. From Claire and myself, bye for now.